This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you that you have spoken through your word, and we need to hear it. God, I need to hear it. And so I pray your spirit would be present, giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that will grow in their love and desire for you and your kingdom that's breaking into this world. And we ask all these things in the name of and for the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen. One of the worst ways to help people overcome their fears is to threaten them. And unfortunately, it seems like the church has decided that that's often a good way to try and get people to overcome their fears. Then when I was in middle school, this church camp I was at wanted to, to help us share our faith with friends. And so they came up with this idea. They handed all of us this card that had three lines on it in Deuteronomy 23, 21. And the three lines were to put a friend of ours or someone in, who we knew that didn't, uh, didn't have faith in Jesus that we hoped would become a Christian, and then Deuteronomy 23, 21, which here's the verse. It says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Wow. <laughs> and their idea was, you get, you get these three names, you make a vow to God that you'll share your faith with them. Because if you made that vow before God, surely that'd be a wonderful way to get others to embrace Christ by making you feel guilty for not doing it. And so I made the vow, put the names on the list, and when I got home, I instantly regretted it. Because I put a name on there I shouldn't have put. Should have gone for low-hanging fruit, right? People maybe who are already Christians or I just wasn't sure, you know. But I, I picked my, one of my best friends who was hostile to everything related to Christianity. But I made the vow. And I certainly don't want to be guilty of sin, and I know God's going to hunt me down if I don't do it. So I did it, kind of. I shared my faith with him via AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> yeah, so some of you are laughing. You still know what that is. Students, children, we used to not have cell phones, um, actually. And when I was in middle school, my family didn't have a cell phone, and texting didn't really exist. So our texting happened from a computer, and so that's what I did. I shared my faith. And, and initially, he was open, and, and we had a great conversation, at least I thought, and he was even willing to go to church. And I was excited until the next day. We had golf practice together, and when I got to golf practice, I'd found he'd been making fun of me the whole time while I wasn't there. And I had a friend of mine come up and say, so I, I heard you came back from church camp crazy. And that moment, that, that reality meant it was a while before I shared my faith again. Because I didn't want to lose my reputation, lose my friendships, lose everything that, that I had built by being crazy. And my guess is if, if you hear that story, you probably have one of, of three reactions. 
Right, when you think I need more courage. Right, and I, and I did. Right? I mean, you probably, right, well, you, you need more, more strength, more courage. You should be. Who cares if people make fun of you? Right, or second, maybe, maybe you, you can relate. And you think, gosh, I've been in so many of those moments too where I wanted to share my faith. I was afraid or I got made fun of. It's just hard. It's hard to know what to say. It's hard to know what to do. Or, or maybe thirdly, you're, you're not a Christian or maybe you're new to church. And this is just one of the things Christians do that you just, it just drives you crazy. Why we, sh- why we insist on sharing our faith. Why we insist on trying to get other people to follow Jesus. That you see that as imperialistic or arrogance or prideful. And I just want to say, if, if that's your thought, if you're one of those three people, I, I just want to say, I agree with all of you. Kind of. And as we press into this text of John 20, I, I think... That'll make more sense. But those are three very different positions. And my guess is we're, we have very different reactions to the topic of evangelism. And I, I think the best way to start or to sit in this tension is to laugh together. And one of the best places to go is one of my favorite comedians, Jim Gaffigan, who has a great little bit on Christians and evangelism. And so let's watch. All right, so we watch that and we think, well, now do we even need the sermon? Clearly, Jim just made us laugh. We don't need to do this. But we do. I mean, this is a big part of us our calling as Christians. And if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you've seen the way Jesus pursued other people. And at times it got awkward. Like when he told the woman at the well that she'd already been through five husbands. Or when the time he told Nicodemus, the religious leader, the guy who had it all together, listen, until you're born again, you can't understand the word I'm saying. That we've seen this process of Jesus encountering people, pursuing them, listening to them, going after them, even if they're indifferent to him, even if they reject him, even if they don't listen. And my guess is all of us have fears or questions or we're not sure about how to be or to share our faith. And we know most likely sharing Jesus in many of our contexts will mean we get mocked or family members will roll their eyes or you might lose your reputation. But this morning I want us to see that there are some fears that are worth running towards. And that's what John 20 points us to, and and especially why we're afraid, why we often have fears around this idea of sharing our faith. Two, why that shouldn't or why that doesn't stop us. And three, how we run towards it. So that's how we'll look at John 20. Let's dive in. First, what What's the source? Why are we afraid? What's the source of our fears of evangelism? I think for many of us, right, it could be that we're just not sure what to say. We, want to, we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to be offensive, and we're just unsure what the right thing to say is. And we certainly don't want to be a, be a bother, right? We don't want to walk up to some random stranger and ask them if we could talk to them about Jesus, right? We don't want to be a, a nuisance. But we look at our own life, maybe, and, and think there's no way anyone would take Jesus seriously if they knew all of the mess that goes on in this heart. Or maybe for for some of you, it's you know that sharing your faith will cost you. It may mean you don't get a promotion. It may mean your family member, there's a tension there that wouldn't have been there if you'd been silent. Or maybe you think just sharing your faith is it's it's invasive, it's judgmental, it's it's imperialistic, it's arrogant. We just need to 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 agree that everyone has their own truth. Maybe you feel some of these fear, maybe you're like me, you feel you feel all of them at, at some point. And it's clear that that in this text, John starts with the disciples' reaction to Jesus' crucifixion, and it begins in fear. If we look at verse 19, John 20, verse 19, says it says this. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. 
And it goes on, but we'll stop there. The disciples, they're behind locked doors. They're filled with fear. And their source, I think, is is really coming from from two things. The one, they, they now know that to follow Jesus is to follow a man who's despised by society. The disciples have attached their life to a discredited, crucified man. And they've lost any chance of a respectful place in society. Because crucifixion, it wasn't just about executing a criminal. It was about shaming him. It was about making a message to anyone who was associated with that criminal to say, don't go that direction, because that direction will lead you dead and naked in a public display of shame. Don't go there. It's, it's, it's a warning. It's, it's now the disciples know that if you follow Jesus, you're, you're not respectable. Which raises the question, I don't know if you're, you're like me, but when, when I was told to become a Christian, it was because I needed to become more respectable. Right? And growing up in the Bible Belt, kind of, that was sort of the reason we tried to get people in church. We need to get them more respectable, better morals. And my guess is probably none of us in here, maybe a few, but probably none of us in here ever had someone tell us, listen, if you follow Jesus, you're going to lose your reputation. It's going to cost you. People are going to look at you strange. See, the disciples did not have the option of being a respectable Christian citizen. To follow Jesus meant to follow a man Rome and the Jews had marked out as despicable and shameful and regrettable. And so that's what the disciples feel. They fear, feel that fear. And, and I want to be careful here because, after all, some people share their faith and their reputation suffers because they're just bad people. Right? They're jerks or they're arrogant or they do come to share their faith from a position of pride or arrogance or self-righteousness. And I'm not advocating that, certainly. And I, I think maybe a place to go to help is, is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching. And there's a tension there that I don't know if you've noticed, that almost back-to-back verses. Then Matthew 5.11, as, as Jesus winds down his Beatitudes, he says this. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And Jesus says, listen, if, if you follow me, there's a chance people are going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to mock you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to reject you. If you follow me, that's, that, that's going to happen. And he says it stronger in other places. But what's interesting is, after he says that, just a couple verses later, we get to, to Matthew 5, 14 through 16, where Jesus says, you're the, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Right? Neither do people light a lamp and set it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Anybody else catch the tension there? And Jesus says in one verse, hey, listen, if you follow me, people are gonna, they're going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. And then almost in the next verse, just a couple verses later, he says, listen, if, if you follow me, people are going to look at your life and glorify me and worship me and become Christians. And I think that sets up a tension we need to hear as we think about what it means to share our faith, what it means to be on mission for Jesus. It means, listen, we should have both happening. We should both have people who look at us and don't find us respectable. Our reputation in some ways should suffer for being a Christian. And yet, people should also look at our lives and want Jesus. And if you don't have both reactions, right? If you only get people who find you not respectable and, 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 and just disdain you and, and, and only revile you, then you're probably, you probably need some humility. You're probably too arrogant. You're probably too prideful. And yet, if, if you never have people who look at your life and want Jesus and become Christians because of the way you live, then it probably means you don't have enough courage. 
You need more courage to share your faith, to point others. We need both. Both mocking and disdaining. That's the tension that we have to live in. And the disciples in this moment, they lack the courage. That's why the doors are locked. That's why they're hiding. And that's the first reason, maybe the reason that they fear that we can relate to. But the second reason that that I think they have fears is one probably in our context we can't relate to. And that is to follow Jesus meant that their, their lives were in danger. Because if Jesus was crucified, why wouldn't they be next? If they kept on the mission, the message that Jesus had, it meant they might be next. And praise God, we in this context don't suffer or die for our faith. But all around the world, that's a live reality for many Christians. In fact, Paul mentioned Bill, uh, Bill Gorman, the campus pastor here, Chris Justice, one of our elders here at Christ Community who attends here at our Brookside campus, and Jeanette Thomas, our pastor of Extension Ministries, who also attends primarily here at Brookside. They're on a plane coming back from Kenya, and what they did in Kenya was, was help learn alongside and train pastors who were going to go into, to African part, or into Africa, parts where Muslims um, are, are dominant, and to, to preach the gospel to Muslims. And it will put their lives in danger. Or is it a church we've been praying for a pastor in Iran named Farshid. He's a partner with one of our, the ministry partners we have here at, at Christ Community, um, Elon Ministries. Farshid's been in prison for six years for, for preaching Jesus. And other pastors in Iran, they, they live with a threat over their head. We also have friends, brothers and sisters in China who are under constant threat of persecution and arrest. And even September 21st, a few weeks back, we heard of of raids and arrests in China um, that that, that landed Christians in prison. That around the world, it's a a real, real fact that to follow Jesus may cost you your life. But I want to say this morning that, that some fears are worth running towards. And I get that's easy for me, right, a person in Kansas City, to, to say that. And yet, as I see our global church continue to grow, as I see and read letters from Farshid from prison about his hope still being in Christ and still sharing Christ with others, as I, I hear and, and see that the, the church in China continue to grow and expand, I see that there's a global church that's communicating, listen, it doesn't matter what it costs us, we will share this good news. That some fears are worth running towards. Which raises the question, okay, well, well how or, or why? What's, what's behind Christianity that causes people to run to these fears? And that's where John goes next in our text. And, and I would say two things, just briefly, that, that John points out here that one, as Christians, we have good news. And two, we as Christians, we've been sent. So let's unpack that. We, one, we have good news. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. We, we sort of stopped off where John mentioned that the disciples are locked behind doors for fear of the Jews. And then here's what happens next. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now that Jesus comes into the midst of their fear, he says, Peace be with you. But, it, but it's more than that. He shows, him, he shows them his wounds. He says, Yes, I'm the same person who was crucified. I'm him. I've defeated death. And as Christians, we have that good news, right? That, that we have a message that says death has been defeated, that death does not have to be the last word in any of our lives. And that good news is worth sharing, even if it might cost us our own life. 
And I think that's why Jesus earlier, he sort of tried to prepare the disciples for this moment. John 14 through 17 is filled with Jesus trying to encourage them, saying, listen, some bad things are about to happen. It's all okay. And one of the the things he says, which is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, is John 16, 33, when he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. That's just another way of, of Jesus saying, Listen, if, if you live and you follow me in this world, you, it, it will be hard. You will suffer. You'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome death itself. Everything that will weigh you down, everything that will wear you out in this life, I've overcome it all. And as Christians, that's all we have. We have news that says that all, that world, this place that troubles you, it's been overcome. And Jesus is breaking in with a new kingdom to fulfill all our hopes, all our dreams. And so what if we're rejected? God accepts us. So what if we lost everything because we're Christians? So what? God alone satisfies. So what? If, if they even take our own lives, so what? Jesus defeated death. You're only hastening my greater joy. And that's why we continue to see around the world, Christians announcing this good news of peace be with you. I have overcome the world. And that's the words of Jesus. And he is the one who has this good news and secondly has sent us into this world to share this good news. That's the point of verse 21, right? After Jesus shows the disciples his side, he goes to verse 21. He says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. A second time he says that. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That we as Christians have been sent, like Jesus was sent into the world. Which raises the question, well, how was Jesus sent into the world? Well, with humility and compassion and grace. Pursuing his enemies, dying for his enemies. And that means we as Christians were called in some way, shape, or form to suffer on behalf of the name of Jesus. That's why when Jesus invited people to follow him, he he didn't use a very encouraging metaphor. He said, If you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. And to be a Christian is to be sent into this world. All right, so students, if if you're a student, you go go to class, you're sent into your school by God to be a loving, faithful presence with good news of what Jesus has done. If you're a parent, you've been sent into your home to first share the gospel with your kids Right, I think it can be easy for us to think, well, I'm sitting in the world, I need to, I need to go, and I need to, to go somewhere. No, in your home first. Live out the gospel before your kids. Share it. Make it credible to them. Live it out before your roommates or your friends. That you've been sent into your vocation, right? To both do good work, but also be a light. To point people to Jesus. That wherever you spend this week, it does not catch God off guard that wherever you're going, he sent you there for a reason, and look and watch for opportunities. And to be a Christian is to be sent. Which raises the question, okay, well, what are we sent for? And that gets to one of the most, excuse me, one of the most interesting verses in the Bible, which is verse 23. Uh, It says this, it says, Jesus, again, teaching the disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Some of us read that and we're like, so if I don't want to forgive someone, that means they don't have to be forgiven? 
kind of like this. It sounds like it's not what it's saying, okay? It, it's not giving us carte blanche to just forgive who we want and, and not forgive who we want. The point that Jesus is saying is, I'm, I'm sending you into this world with a message, with good news of what I've done. And as you preach that message, as you, you share that gospel, you're the, you're the means, the conduit for which people find forgiveness and enter into forgiveness. And as you preach and people reject the message and reject you, you're, you're the means by which their forgiveness is withheld. Right? That does not mean as a staff of Christ community, we go through church membership each week and say, well, we forgive them. Okay, they're getting, not them. Not the, that's not what happens. It's just we preach the gospel and we let God figure it out. That we're called to be faithful to, to announce these two things, right? That God, and through Jesus, has defeated death. And secondly, forgiveness of sins is available. That everything you've ever done wrong, Jesus died for, forgives you. You don't need to be here this morning and sing with enough passion or listen with enough attention or take communion in just the right way. God receives you if you come to him in faith through his son, Jesus. And that's what we as a church get to announce. Now, if you're not a Christian, I hope this will help you see maybe why we as Christians continue to insist on sharing our faith, even when it's awkward, even when it can seem to be arrogant or prideful. We think we have really good news. As a pastor, I, I spend a lot of time with people who are dying. And I'm just thankful in that moment, I can, I can announce there's someone who's already died and he came back. And to see the hope that fills with people's life, I, I know that's a good news. It's not just an empty word. And secondly, we have forgiveness of sins. That, that as a pastor, I get to sit across from people. And no matter where they've been or what they've done or how they've screwed up their life, I have good news because it's not, okay, now we got to figure it out. Let's get you on the right path. Let's do the right things. It's, listen, we're starting from a place of Jesus died for all of that. And now let's move forward in grace. And we have good news. And, and I, listen, again, I, I get it can, it can be imperialistic, especially when Christians miss the fact that we're sinned, right? I mean, I, I preach the gospel not because I'm, I'm more brilliant. I'm certainly not. Not because I have my life together. Not because I'm better. I'm sent because Jesus has sent me. And I just come on his authority, not mine. I don't have anything, but I believe that this, this man, Jesus, who was God, defeated death, overcame the grave, forgives sins, and he sent all of us into the world. And that's why, that's why we have to keep that problem in humility, right? It's not us. It's not our message. It's not our authority. It's Jesus's who sends all of us to wherever we go to love and to announce that death has been defeated and forgiveness of sins is possible. That some fears are worth running towards because we both have good news and Jesus has sent us into the world. But it raises the question, okay, how? What does that look like? Let's get practical. So the, the, the final step, how, how we run towards it, how we run towards our field. And this, this starts with verse 22. I skipped a verse for, for a reason. I wanted to come back to it. In, in verse 22, Jesus, before um, he, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, he, he says this, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, that, that verse reads very strangely to me. And maybe it's because the only time I've ever seen anyone breathe on someone else is when a middle school student belched and breathed in my face. I mean, that's the, and I don't think that's what happened here. Um, but but the, the, the translation isn't great here. It, what happened is Jesus, he breathed, he let out a long sigh, and then he said, receive the Holy Spirit which I think the disciples would have completely understood what was happening in this moment. Whereas for us, we're a little bit lost. 
that, that in their day, the word for breath and spirit was the same word. And so for Jesus to let out a long breath and then say, receive the spirit, I think he's pointing them back to Genesis 1. That in Genesis 1, you had, you had these lifeless creatures, man and woman, and God breathes his life, his spirit into them, and they become living beings. And Jesus is saying, just like that, when God breathed life into to dead, into unliving Adam and Eve, and they became living beings, so I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And you're going to go from these few people locked behind closed doors into being so full of life, you're going to spread this message into all the world. And every, every corner of this earth will one day be filled with the good news of what I've done because you'll be filled with the Spirit. And frankly, that's the only explanation I have for why the church exists today, right? Because this is all the church was at this moment. It was probably most likely just the 10 disciples locked in a room. It's not very helpful. And yet today, we have Christians, millions of Christians on every continent worshiping Jesus as Lord. It's why you cannot find a center of Christianity. There isn't one. Go to Europe, there's lots of Christians there. Go to Africa, lots of Christians there. Lots of Christians in South America, lots of Christians here in North America. There's Christians everywhere. Because Jesus didn't just say, all right, go do it, good luck. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. That will empower you to go and to take this message. And so the only way any of us can be effective at sharing our faith is to be empowered by the Spirit. It's to, to trust the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, which requires great humility, right? It's not your wisdom. It's not your, your brilliance that's going to cause people to want Jesus. It's going to be only the way the Spirit uses you, the way you can become a conduit for God's work. And so let me just work through three practical steps of what that might look, look like, of, of how we want to conclude kind of this long series of, of Jesus listens for what it might look like for you to share your faith through the power of the Spirit. First, I would say we need to listen. That's why we titled the series, Jesus Listens. Because no one will receive the gospel if they don't feel heard. And that's one of the amazing things Jesus does. In fact, one of the most amazing verses in all the Bible to me was John 4. When Jesus was with the woman at the well who had five husbands, she had a, just a, a difficult past. And Jesus shares all this with her. With her. And then she, as she goes out to get people to come and follow Jesus, she says, come and, and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Now, how many of us would announce that as if it's good news to other people? And yet that's what she does. That Jesus knew her and she knew that Jesus knew her. And it was the best news. He, he heard her. He entered into her life and was able to say the thing that changed everything for her. And we Christians, we have to listen. That no one will receive the gospel if they don't feel heard. And that's what Jesus is so brilliant at. He knew people. And once they saw that he understood him, they often responded by faith. The people outside the church are rightly at times uncomfortable because Christians have been imperialistic and arrogant. And that's why I would argue listening is the starting point for evangelism. So that other people know we hear them and we know them like God hears and knows them. So listen, that's first. Second, I would say watch. Watch for opportunities. And that begins to me with prayer. If, if you have a daily prayer life, and I would encourage you to do that if you don't, begin it or, or enter into that daily time with asking, God, just, would, you just, would you just give me an opportunity today? God, if there's a moment you want me to share Jesus with someone, just, just bring that before. Or pray regularly for the people in your life who don't know or follow Jesus. 
And I think that's where really the Spirit will most empower us to be effective at sharing, our, sharing the gospel with others is by entering into conversation with God about that being a heart and a value for us. But second, the, the, other, the other piece to watch I want to press into is, is, is to develop some new habits. And Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, has a really helpful thought, which is, is look for three things that people tend to say, which all have not in the, the saying. So the three nots, excuse me, is, is what he says. And, and three things people tend to say. The, the first one being, we're not from around here. And maybe they just moved to the area. And, and as someone who moved to Kansas City about 16 months ago, I feel how hard it is when you move to an area. You don't know many people. And so when people say that, it's a great opportunity for us to say, hey, if, if, listen, if you don't have any friends, I have this great place that I go to, great friends, it's Christ community. I'd love for you to come. I'd love to take you, for you, take you some time if, if you're willing to go. Right, use that as an opportunity to welcome them into a community that hopefully, right, hopefully will be friends and help them get to know a, a new area. Or second, people often say, we weren't prepared for this. Maybe it's a new marriage or a new job or a new baby, new roommate. Right, as someone with a new baby and a new job in the last year plus, I feel this one as well. Right, and so when people say that, it's a, a moment to say, it's not, I don't know if you go to church, but I love my church. It's a place where I often go feeling very overwhelmed, very unprepared, and it's a place to, to join with others who feel the same way. So if, I'd love to take you sometime. Right, real practical, easy, right? I mean, listen for those, those statements. And someone who, again, was just... In that, in that statement, the church has been a huge place for me to process a new baby and a new job. Or three things, the third, third knot he, he brings out is things are not going well. And maybe the marriage is struggling, there's a death, there's suffering, there's, there's pain. This is one place we as a church, it should be easy for us, right? Because we have good news. Death has been defeated, sins have been forgiven, and that's most probably of why we say things aren't going well. is because we're caught up in grief and guilt for what we've done, or we're, we're facing suffering and death in life. We want to bring them to a place that has good news for both of those. So watch for those, those statements. I know it could be hard, but I think those three moments where people are vulnerable, and it's an opportunity to say, listen, the church can be a place to love you and draw you in. So that's listen. Finally, say. that we call this sermon, Say the One Thing. The one thing at the center of this passage that I've been saying is, is that Jesus' message is really about two things. One, he's defeated death, and two, sins can be forgiven. And there's lots of ways to say that. And everyone in this room will probably say it differently. But that's a good story. However that's worked out in your life, that's a good story to tell. For example, when I was in seminary in Chicago, I worked at Starbucks. That was one of, my, one of my gigs. And I worked with a guy named Ben. And Ben was one of the most angry people I've, I've ever met. Um, in the two years I worked there, Ben spent a lot of time in prison, um, got in countless fights. And for some reason, we never got in a fight by the grace of God. But, but Ben was just, a, he was an angry kid. And it came out all the time. So there was one night in particular, we tended to work at night together, just the two of us. There was one night we were working, and a customer came through the drive-thru and was just unbelievably rude and unkind and ungracious and, and just persisted at it. He was at the window for several minutes, and I tried to just get him to leave, and he wouldn't. And it took a long time, and, and, and finally the guy left. And Ben looked at me when, um, when the guy finally left, and, and he said, Tim, I, I don't think I've, I've ever seen you get angry in the, the time I've worked with you. How's that possible? And I knew Ben wasn't just angry. He especially hated Christians. Made fun of Christians all the time. 
always apologized to, to me for it, but he just, he just made fun of, he hated the church, hated Christians, hated Christianity. So I didn't really want to answer that question, really. And so I, I tossed off a, an empty response. I said, you know, when customers act like jokes, you just have to laugh at them. But that wasn't enough for Ben. And so he's like, no, seriously, I want to know. How do you not get angry? So I told him, Ben, if, if you'd known me five years ago, you would never have said that about me. That earlier in my life, I, I was poster child for anger. Screaming, foul language, going off the handle on people. You would have, I would have been just like, I mean, I would have cussed that dude out. No question. For whatever reason, I became a Christian. And when I did, God just overwhelmed my heart in such a way, I'm just not angry anymore. And he both killed that dead part in me and forgave everything that I've said in anger to others. Now, the silence happened for a minute. Ben looked back at me, and all he said was, that makes sense. And then turned around and walked away. And I have no idea that that moment meant anything to him, or if he was just painfully hoping it would end quickly. <laughs> I just know it was a moment to look at Ben and say, listen, I was dead in sin, and now I'm alive in Christ. I used to bear all the guilt of everything I've ever done, and now I'm freed through what Christ did for me on the cross. And that's a good story. And every Christian in this room, you have that story. So tell it. Even if it might cost you your reputation. Even if it might mean you get mocked. Even if it might cost you your life. Because there are some fears that are worth running towards. So as we transition out of this passage into communion, let's remember we participate in a meal that worships and celebrates a crucified Messiah.